Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest Hot Topics and Controversies in CT, April 2010. And this is my latest vodcast, and this should be in two parts. Um, this is a, what I'm going to do is review a number of different articles and topics I've looked at recently. A, because they were in the literature this past month in AJR Radiology or other journals, or things that uh, have become important to work. So I've broken it down by different categories. So the first category we're going to look at would be the kidney. And so there was an article, again, with the theme of radiation dose, and we're going to be speaking a lot about radiation dose because everybody's speaking about it. And my concern, of course, is that um, you want to make certain that you, you have reduced dose or lower dose studies but you don't have low information studies. And there was an article recently published this past month talking about that by decreasing the x-ray tube charge from 100 to 30 MAS, you could detect stones with the same quality as and save dose by 70%. Now, that sounds really good, but there are several things to remember. The first is that in this article, the stones needed to be above 3 millimeters because if it was under 3 millimeters, there was a good chance you were going to miss them. And the comment is, well, these were not important stones, but you want to be very, very careful. I'm never sure what important or unimportant means. Sometimes the clinician wants to know, is the patient having stone disease? And you can miss those stones. The second thing is, as we all know, when we do a stone protocol, uh, that's one of the things we look at. That's the main thing we look at. It's a non-contrast study, but many of us, like you, have found appendicitis, diverticulitis, aortic aneurysms, SBO, many reasons for the patient's pain that are not related to the kidneys. So again, when you have very low dose studies, you really limit yourself. So I'm very concerned that what you're doing is, yes, you can lower the dose in this scenario in this article, it shows nicely, but you want to be very, very careful. You're not missing pathology. So again, um, you want to be very careful in that regard. So, but something again to think about. There are two very good articles written by Pam Johnson this month, back to back in radiology check that, back-to-back -back in AJR. One talking about optimizing detectability of renal pathology with uh, optimized protocols, looking at some of the pearls and pitfalls. That's a very good article to look at, and it's really a uh, companion article with this article, How Not to Miss or, or Mischaracterize a Renal Cell Carcinoma, Protocols, Pearls, and Pitfalls. And what these articles basically do is look at some of the issues in terms of renal CT, many things we've spoken about, talking about the importance of protocols, both the dis delivery of contrast, when you acquire the data, how we acquire the data, how we display the data, specifically multiple acquisitions with varying coverage, careful timing of each contrast enhanced phase, and use of 2D and 3D multiplanar displays are required. So very important factor. And of course, it's very important to recognize certain of the pathologies have certain patterns and in these articles we talk about experience-based recommendations to improve detection and characterization using multiphasic MDCT and we also focus on pitfalls so what one pitfall might be under distension or inadequate distension of the ureter and so you could miss transitional cell carcinomas but then we also make the point that you don't want to wait too long when you're doing a delayed scan for CTRography because the contrast often becomes so dense that you have beam-hardening artifacts and you can miss a lesion that way. So the article is very nice looking at many of these important factors. Just some of the highlights I'll give you, looking at the different phases, unenhanced, speaking about its advantages from stone detection to determining a high-density renal cyst to early phase imaging, talking about looking at... Uh, uh, 
arterial structures, for preoperative planning, looking at tumor vascularity and the like, to nephrogram phase imaging for more lesion characterization, looking at the renal veins, perfusion changes, or excretory phase imaging, detecting transitional cell carcinomas or pyelonephritis, or looking at lesion de-enhancement. So again, the importance of all of the phases. The article also makes one point that I often forget to make is that if you do delayed scan imaging, if you just happen to have a scan three to six hours after you gave IV contrast, and the IV contrast may have been given for a different reason, a head CT or whatever other reason it was given, and you see high density in certain select regions, often it's kind of triangular, it's due to a decreased rate of contrast transit through the tubules, and it really means it's altered perfusion. So again, uh, just one more good uh, pearl to tell you. Okay, now in terms of liver imaging, there are a number of different articles, and actually, let me give you an article that we're publishing that actually is in press. As things go, you probably won't see it for nine more months. When we looked at FNH, and we made the point that FNH attenuation was less than the aorta. And remember we spoke about FNH as a very vascular lesion, but it's not as vascular as the aorta. And you can see from these numbers, it's closest to the IVC in the portal phase. So I talk about FNH as a vascular lesion kind of being uh, equal to the IVC. That's a very, very uh, nice pattern. And you can see that's what basically occurred in this article. You can see the masses range in size from 8 millimeters to 13 centimeters. Most FNH I see are in the 3 to 5 centimeter range. And you can see some of the data here. We talk about central scars with FNH, but they were seen in a little bit less than half the cases. Um, so I think a very important thing to look at with FNH, this article does a very good job talking about the hyperenhancement, but only like IVC, not like aorta, the prominent feeding vessel. And again, looking at the constellation of findings, allowing you to make a very specific diagnosis. And um, I think this article shows it very nicely. Okay. What other area? Chest. Um, there was a good article I was reading. It's not the most recent article, but I was looking at pericardial cysts. And um, so looking at lesions of the cardiophrenic space. So differential diagnosis is usually benign things. Prominent cardiac fat pad, a diaphragmatic hernia, pericardial fat necrosis, which is very rare, pericardial cysts, thymic tumors, which can be low and hang down, and then adenopathy, whether it's due to inflammatory disease, whether it's due to lymphoma, or other neoplastic processes. So let's just talk about pericardial cysts. They're most common, about 77% in the right cardiophrenic space. They're congenital. They're essentially always asymptomatic. Their attenuation is 0 to 20 Hounsfield units, and they do not enhance on contrast-enhanced studies. Size range from a centimeter to 10 centimeters. Here's a very classic one. Water density. Here it is axially, and here it is coronal. Very nice in the cardiophrenic space. And here's just two more 3D images. So just a very, very nice example of this and uh, you can see very nicely here good article a very nice uh, article for residents or anyone just trying to um, remember what goes on in this region and talking about characterization and differential diagnosis nicely shown okay what else cardiac imaging uh, a number of things were written this month but i'll show you two that i thought were kind of interesting one was on left ventricular assist devices i know at hopkins we see a lot more lvads we scan them typically looking for complications, and this article looks at some of the complications, looking at inflow and outflow cannula complications. Remember the uh, 
anastomoses, and I'll have a, a more detailed lecture looking at the uh, where the cannulas go and what complications we can see. But going into from the aorta, going into left ventricle, we look for postoperative hemorrhage, pericardial tamponade, thrombus formation, aortic valve stenosis, which is hard to see on CT, particularly since you're not doing a gated study, aortic valve insufficiency, right-sided heart failure, and infection. And the ones we typically um, are asked for really are hemorrhage and infection, because patients typically, history would be running a fever post-LVAD placement. Now, just LVADs, I know some of you don't have big cardiac programs where you work, and so just some information. LVADs are being used more commonly. Most commonly, they're used as a bridge to heart transplantation. Someone's on the waiting list, they put an LVAD in so they can survive long enough to get that transplant. For some patients who can't receive a transplant, it's destination therapy. It's the therapy of choice. It's the only choice. And some patients, uh, particularly patients with reconstructive surgery in the heart, it's a bridge to myocardial recovery. So there's a really good article in radiographics by Carr. In patients with severe heart failure, LVADs have become a more widely used treatment option as a bridge, as destination therapy, and to myocardial recovery. It's important to have an understanding of the components of these such devices and the normal imaging features, and by definition, the abnormalities. So something very nice to look at. The last thing I'm going to show you is something, uh, if you look very carefully at your cardiac CTs, particularly gated studies, you should see. And that is the atrial diverticuli. They're seen in more than one-fifth of patients who are undergoing cardiac CT. Um, there's also accessory left atrial appendages, but let's talk about the diverticuli. Again, they're typically of no clinical importance. Diverticuli are in the range of about six or so millimeters uh, by six millimeters. And here's just a beautiful example. Look at this 3D view. In this case, you can see the pulmonary veins going into patient's atrium. And there it is very nicely. Look at that little outpouching. Now, why it's important to recognize this, now it's an unimportant finding in the sense you do nothing about it. It's 20% of the patients, we said. But don't confuse it with a perforation. Don't confuse it with a fistula. Don't confuse it with some important pathology. Here's the same patient with MIP imaging. And here it is, MIP and volume rendering side by side. So that's a very good point. Look very carefully. Uh, I quizzed some of our faculty here. No one knew what I was talking about. And then the more you look, the more you saw. So 20% will have it. An important thing to look at. Again, remember it's of no clinical importance, but it's important you recognize it. So those are some of the things I've looked at. There's a number of other things we're going to look at this month, particularly related to radiation dose. But why don't I pick that up next time? Thanks a lot.